going to open the scriptures again at uh, John chapter 1. And I say again, we have sung some of these words and um, or said there in um, responsive worship. See, the children are, are leaving now. They're going to come back, so if someone could remember to uh, go and get them as soon as I've finished preaching. Coming to an end uh, because we have some items that go one item they're going to do and some prize given. I have the words on the screen if you can follow that and I'll read the first five verses of John chapter 1 the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And God had a blessing to his word this morning. It'd be wonderful to be able to read right through uh, John chapter 1 and actually hold John. And, and some of us have done that recently. I know our home group has done that uh, this last year. We've had a tremendous time uh, in the Gospel of John. And I've had even reason, even in recent weeks, to uh, pour over the book of John uh, in some of my personal study. But as I was looking at these first few verses, we can appreciate that our way of life in our Western world is that we enter into Christmas time with Christmas season with hopes and expectations of happiness and family gatherings and festivities and holidays and relaxation. That's what we kind of hang out for and look for at Christmas time. And, um, and most of us in our society seek and look for that at this time of the year. It's a reason to party. It's a, it's a great time to be jolly and to enjoy as we celebrate Christmas season. And, and that's a good thing to enjoy, right? I'm not being a good blanket. So it's a good reason and a good thing to enjoy Christmas and to celebrate this season. And personally, I love this time of the year. And uh, it is a great time. But there is a problem with the seasonal joy. The problem is that it, it all too soon is over. It's over because for most it's only a periodic celebration or merely a celebration to enjoy. So I ask you this morning on the eve of Christmas Day, why is our Christmas joy and happiness only a seasonal moment that too soon or too often dies out when the day is done. Why is that? I ask this because we all want the spirit of Christmas, can we say, to permeate our lives all the time. Uh, we all want this joy. Wouldn't it be great to have that Christmas spirit of joy that never fades and that would never falter and a joy that even increases as our days of living grow longer? Now, wouldn't that be something? 
wouldn't that be something? Well, can I suggest this morning that we can all have this never-ending joy? That's not a pipe dream or something fanciful, but we all can have this never-ending joy. We can all have this happiness that never ceases, even, can I say, in amidst the storms and rough patches of life. And we all have them, every single one of us. And the reason why so many miss out on this is because of their individual focus or their family focus and that focus is on the temporary stuff of life, on themselves. In other words, what I can get, what I can give, what I can do, what I enjoy, what I love, what I want, all that kind of stuff is so often so much part of our lives that hijacks and destroys any permanent view. You see, when desire for happiness is, and joy is on, is on the temporary and selfish aspects of life, it never lasts. It soon disappears when the next event hits our lives, whatever event that may be. So I want this morning to briefly challenge you from the Word of God about the need to shift your focus or to shift our focus from the temporary spirit of Christmas to the eternal person and power and purpose of Christmas. There's three P's that you can remember. Because this perspective is what brings real and lasting joy. We need to have the right perspective. Now, as we've read something of John, we've heard from John from the, around the communion table and uh, in our responsive reading, we will know that the Gospel of John does not begin with a nativity scene or an account of Jesus' birth but what John does tell us, he tells us a whole lot about Christmas, a whole lot about Christmas that we need to know. And his particular concern is to focus our attention on the real person of Christmas, who is described even in our first few verses as the Word and the Light of Men. That's what he's described as. And so this is vital to understand because it is only through the Word, this true light, that anyone can have true, eternal happiness. And so the first thing he wants to tell us is to get your eyes off the temporary and consider the eternal. That's what he wants to tell us. Our first point is be focused on the eternal person of Christmas. You see this in verses 1 and 2. When he begins by saying, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Now it's obvious, as we just look at those two verses, that the he in verse 2 is in reference to the Word spoken of in verse 1. In other words, they are one and the same. The Word and he are the same. And John wants to tell us something vitally important here. He is telling us by using a key word, and that key word in these two verses that is used over and over is the word was. And so what that word was does is it tells us that the word in verse 6 and verse 1 always existed. This key word was in verse 1 and 2 signifies, what it signifies, it signifies an action in the, of the past that continues on in the present. It could be read this way. 
In the beginning was the Word, is the Word, and always will be the Word. Okay? You get the sense? That's what it could, that, what it could be rightly translated. And this is an important introduction by John, because he, he doesn't, he doesn't, this is, doesn't imply in this that the Word had a beginning, even though the word beginning is there. He doesn't imply that the word had a beginning, but more importantly, he is saying that the word has always existed. It always was. He is saying the word, who is he, in verse 2, is eternal. The eternal word. That simply tells us, folks, that the word always has been and always will be. John is saying, before there, there was anything that existed, before anything else existed, before anything existed, there was the Word. Which is the He in verse 2. So let's think a little deeply here, allow our minds to drink this in. You see, although at Christmas time we consider the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, we see from verse 14, if we want to track down that first chapter, and this verse 14 tells us that the same eternal word of verse 1 and 2 became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why it's always good to read the whole context. But in verse 14, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Therefore, although Jesus' birth at Bethlehem happened in time, it was not his beginning. For he, the word, always existed. Now eternity, when we think about eternity, we say it often and we can read it easily and it rolls off our lips. It's a difficult concept for us time-regulated creatures to consider, right? A very difficult concept. Now Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of the 18th century, also experienced this difficulty kind of getting his mind and his head around this concept of eternity. But he knew of its reality with absolute conviction and truth. He knew that eternity existed. And he once wrote this in a prayer. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Strange prayer, but that's what he wrote and that's what he prayed. So what did he mean by that? What he meant was that he longed for a deeper and an eternal perspective on everything. I wonder if we need a good dose of eternity stamped on our eyeballs. I know I should. You see, he longed for eternal focus and eternal focus to be always weaved into the very fabric of his everyday thought process. He wanted eternity to be there, whatever he thought of, whatever he did, and whatever he said. And we can ask why. Why did he want this? Because he understood, understood that life here on earth was just a mere dress rehearsal for the main event called eternity. Temporary seasonal joy was but a tip of the iceberg for Jonathan Edwards. He longed for and sought to live for the eternal, not for the temporal. And I'm sad to say, so many of us show by our lives, our lifestyles, what we're going for, that we're too much living for the temporary and not for the eternal. 
My dear people, the babe born in Bethlehem was the eternal, self-existing God who alone gives eternal joy. What happened was the heart of heaven came down to be the saviour of the world. You see that in First John 4.14. Let us ask ourselves, do you know him? Do you trust him personally? As the word. The one who was born in Bethlehem. The one who always was and always is the eternal existing word from God. Do you trust him and know him? Because that raises another good question. Why was the word used to describe Jesus? Why was the word why was W-O-R-D used to describe Jesus? The word the word translated word in the Greek is the word logos. Okay? It's the word logos. And what it refers to is speech or, or, or reasoning or, or or an explanation. It's a word about something. That's what it means. Same as today. And so there's the answer to our question. This is who Jesus is. He is called the Word because a word is what? A word is an observable expression of an, an invisible thought. And Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. Jesus is everything God has ever said or will say. He is God's equal. He, the Word, was with God, that is, face to face, eternally face to face with God from all eternity. That's what that word with means, face to face. In other words, if you want to know who God is, it's simple. Take a look at Jesus as written and recorded in the inspired four Gospels. He is everything God chooses to reveal about himself in human form. And this statement and the word was God is the clearest of all the scriptures concerning the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is the word co-eternal and co-equal with God, the word is God. That is why Jesus could say to Philip, remember Philip who queried Jesus' identity? And kind of says, well, show us the Father and then we will kind of get our minds and heads around all this as to who you are. And Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John 14, verse 8 and 9. And again, Jesus clearly testifies to the unbelieving Jews on this occasion. Again, in John chapter 10, verse 30, he's come out and said to them, I and the Father are one. That really rather them up. If you read on the context, that's when they wanted to kill him. took off stones to destroy him. On another occasion, when the Jews were denying his claim to be co-eternal and co-equal with God, Jesus said to them in John uh, 8 and 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. If you read right through the Gospel of John, you will see that Jesus refers to himself as the I am seven times. And of course that has serious and deep connections with the Old Testament. Remember the, the occasion when, when Moses in the burning bush, I am. Who shall I say to the people of Israel that taught me this uh, uh, law? You tell them that the I am said this. 
So Jesus says here, he is the I am. That is the pre-existing, co-eternal God. He is Yahweh. And all this is to say that, all from his life, Jesus, the Word, proved who he was over and over. From the peace be still, to the rise up and walk, to the Lazarus come forth, to the your sins be forgiven you, to the it is finished, the truth and power of his eternal deity was on constant display. Every word, every deed, every miracle declared him to be the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. Hebrews 1.1 Jesus alone is the eternal and divine person of Christmas because Jesus is God. Secondly, be focused on the eternal power of Christmas. We see this in verse 3. Retailers and 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 so forth love the temporary power of Christmas right? because it stimulates customers to fill their coffers during this temporary Christmas period, and they are very good at it, mind you. Well, I might say at depleting um, your uh, resources, your financial resources as well. They suck it out of you. They really, really, there is a power at Christmas time that the, re that the retailers pick up on. But is that the real power of true Christmas? We may think of many great acts where God has manifested his power. Right now we can think of occasions where... Okay, think of the creation act of God. Right in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1. We jump forward and you can think some of the wonderful acts where God calls the sun to stand still and crossing the Red Sea. Think of all sorts of acts where God performed and displayed his power. Think of the miracles of Jesus. We can then look forward to the work on the cross, his resurrection and his, and his ascension. And without a doubt, all these and more are mighty acts of God's power on display. But let me say this. Above all the mighty acts of divine power, the greatest expression of God's power was when he added humanity to deity and came to live and die among you. Paul to the church at Philippi, he speaks of this. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, Although he, that is the word, that is Jesus Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Folks, just think for a moment about who was born in the manger at Bethlehem. When we appreciate that baby Jesus in Bethlehem was the creator of the entire universe, his birth as a baby becomes more amazing, doesn't it? But there's more. Not only did he, he make the universe out of nothing, he spoke it into existence. Not only did he do that, but he continues ever since it was created right to this day to hold it all together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us that. 
Or as one man put it, like this, he is the glue of the galaxies. He made it and continues to hold it together as well. You see, the real power of Christmas, who once lay in the manger, was a creator who humbled himself and began, became a creature in his own creation. How awesome is that? He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his eternality. He stepped out of eternity into time by entering into this world as a dependent babe who willingly subjected himself to the very creatures he created. Awesome thought. Now that's power, folks. That's real power. That's power that should drop us to our knees in worship. Even as a tiny dependent embryo in Mary's womb. Just think of that. Miraculously implanted there by the Spirit of God, the Word, Jesus, never ceased to be God. No wonder the angels sung with joy as a birth my dear people, let's get past the temporary rush, the seasonal buzz, the fading tinsel and the dying Christmas trees. Just for a moment. Let us worshipfully contemplate the real power behind Christmas. Is there lasting power in a man in a red suit? Giving toys to good children? Or is there power, elastic power in the red-nosed reindeer or even the family Christmas dinners even though I'm hanging out for mine? Is there power in that? No. The real power of Christmas is God in a manger. That is the reason we celebrate Christmas. The amazing power of the incarnation that God took upon himself manhood. That is the essence of this whole season. And thirdly, be focused on the eternal purpose of Christmas. You see this in verses 4 and 5. Of course, even at this stage of God's introduction to Jesus Christ, the reader could well ask, why? Why did the Creator decide to become a part of His creation? Why did God put on human flesh and walk amongst men? Why did He come into this world to live and to die? What is the purpose of Christmas? Good question. There are a number of answers that could be addressed here, but I want to highlight the most important. Verse 4 tells us that in him was life, and the life was the life of men. The reason Jesus came to the world was to bring life, not temporary life, that we all have by God's grace. We all have that, no matter who we are. By God's grace, we live and we breathe. But what Jesus is talking about here, what John is talking about here, he came to give eternal life. Who to? To dead, spiritually dead people. But the problem is, most people don't know that they are spiritually dead and that they need eternal life that only God can give through Jesus Christ. Most people don't know that. But like a story I read, and actually I experienced it myself as a kid, you know, Christmas time, my dad, we would always have duck. On our farm we used to have these Muscovy ducks. We used to have a hundred or so. And Christmas time was a great time to go on a kill. 
And so Dad would get the ducks. There's only one way to kill a duck, and forgive, the, forgive me for the graphics, but was to chop things head off. And so Dad was the chief chopper, and we were the kids that eventually had to grab them and put them in the hot water and so they could pluck them. Well, you chop a head duck's head off, and you know what it does? It begins to dead. It tears it around and tries to stand up and it flaps its wings and it, it's dead, but it didn't even know it. That's what's like with most people when it comes to their spiritual deadness. They don't know it. Ephesians 2 1 tells us very clearly one more of those succinct statements. This is addressed to believers, reminding them of who, what they once were, who they once were and what their spiritual position was. You were once dead in trespasses and sins. Well, Jesus came to give eternal life. Not temporal, but eternal. He came to save sinners from eternal judgment by giving them what? By giving them eternal life. Jesus promises this in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say unto you. Truly, truly, the words are important. In other words, hey, this is a succinct statement, so sit up and listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And the wonderful thing that many here can testify of this in this, in this world here is that we, we not only pass from death to life in the spiritual sense, but in here and now, in the present, everything changes. That's right, isn't it? We view things from a different perspective. We have an eternal and divine perspective now, or we should do. 2 Corinthians 5.17 clarifies this and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's who, those who have been saved, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We now have an eternal perspective. We have an eternal worldview. We have a new purpose for living. But it gets better. The life that God gives through Jesus Christ is an abundant life. An eternal and abundant life. Abundant means it's superior. It surpasses any other kind of life. And Jesus contrasts temporary life and the life that he gives in John 10, verse 10. He says this, A thief comes only to destroy or kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is the quality of life that the word, the babe in Bethlehem, Jesus who is God, can give. A life that he gives all those who trust in him, he gives our lives an eternal purpose. It's Jesus Christ alone who makes life permanently abundant. That's why we can have eternal joy no matter what stuff hits us in all. He's the only source of eternal life and, and, and he challenges us, Mr. Smith, in John 11, verse 25 and 26. This is what Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Good question, huh? My dear people, if you are not saved, if you are not in Christ, if you have not personally appropriated yourself to the eternal life that Jesus Christ gives, 
you are still dead in your sin and you are still in spiritual darkness. And Jesus came why? He came to shine his light into your sin-darkened life to bring about eternal life. He came to open our blinded eyes. He not only gives us eternal life, but he, he gives us the wherewithal. He, he causes our eyes to be opened to see our deep need. Why can he do that? Because he's what? The light of the world. John 8 verse 12 tells us, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How sad it is that the world at large, even at Christmas time, millions of people stumble around in spiritual darkness. And even sad to say religious darkness. They can be very religious people. They can go to mass. They can go to church. They can go, all, go through all the, the religious ceremony and still be in spiritual darkness as to their need of eternal life. Jesus Christ alone. They are blind to the eternal purposes of Christmas. But not only that, people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In other words, they wallow in it. They wallow in it. They put forward their reason, their logic, their human understanding of things and say, I know better. That can't be true. And so they're still in darkness. And dear people, the true light of Jesus Christ has shone brightly from eternity past. And that light gleamed in Bethlehem's region. It really did. It gleamed. Right? Heaven rejoiced. Then that light shone for approximately 33 years while Jesus walked this earth. Oh, how did it shine. He virtually eradicated all disease and sickness right throughout the land of Palestine. That light really shone. To many, it seemed that that light was all but snuffed out of Calvary. But as we know, according to the scripture, the light of the world, it blazed in all its glory when Jesus came forth from the tomb. Amen? And that same light has and will continue to blaze its eternal light on a pathway to eternity in heaven for all those who believe and follow. My dear folks, that is the eternal perspective of Christmas. Lord commands you to consider and believe so that you might be a true worshiper, that you could worship him in spirit and in truth. May we enjoy this Christmas. This Christmas season, understanding that Jesus was born to die so that we might live eternally for his glory. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do give thanks for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is everything to us. And we make much of it because He is the Savior, our Savior. He is the one that we have come to love because you have opened our sin-blinded eyes and caused us to see the light of your glory. 
and your truth and your grace and, and also our deep need as sinners of the need of a saint. Thank you we can worship not only the baby in the manger, but the one who was born and born to die that we might have eternal life. What an amazing true story of who you are and what this world is all about. We give thanks. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. And the people of God said, Amen.